at law school, corporate clerkship recruitment is considered to be especially demanding. Some of the dedicated lawyers who have survived this vicious process are part of an elite squad known as Allens. These are their stories. Hello and welcome everyone. You're listening to Allens Confidential. I'm Rosanna Bricknell and I'm here with my wonderful co-host Geneva Secular. Hello. We're joined today by Andrew Marshall, who is special counsel at Linklaters and we're very lucky that we've caught him while he's in Australia. Welcome, Andrew. Hello, guys. and Welcome. Thank you very much for joining us. Now, to begin the podcast, we always start with the same question, which is, what's your favourite podcast? Do you listen to any? If so, what gets your ear juices going? <laughs> Why would you say ear juices? Uh, oh, look, I know. It came out and then I regretted it immediately. <laughs> no, that sounds like, sounds like the kind of phrase that uh, I should know what it means, but I don't. And that probably is, is similar to the podcast side because I must confess I feel a bit old and maybe a bit weird by, by not really being a huge podcast listener. Um, but I, I know that that puts me a bit out of step with probably many of the people listening to this. And, and that actually was brought home to me. Recently, when I, I met a couple in London and we were talking about our commutes to work, and I live about uh, 20 minutes by tube or, or about an hour to walk into the office, and I, I told them that I like walking into the office, and, uh, and the guy, he, he was, sounded uh, quite surprised by this. He said, well, now that's a long time. You know, do you listen to podcasts on the way? I said, oh, no. And then he said, oh, well, do you listen to, you know, do you talk on the phone? And I said, no, no. And he was like, oh, he looked a bit, you know, perturbed. He said, do you listen to any music? And I said, no, no. And you could see his girlfriend kind of um, elbowing him saying, Shh, don't, don't probe to him more. Maybe there's something wrong with this guy. <laughs> but uh, uh, having spotted that, I had to confess, look, uh, you know what? In, in London, I just feel like a tourist in many ways. I'm, I'm very happy uh, just walking through, looking around at the buildings and, and just feeling happy to be there. So I guess that's a long window out of your question saying I'm not a big podcast listener, but I guess I, uh, I, I like the podcast of luck, if you like. The podcast of life. I love that. I personally cannot walk anywhere without having something to listen to, be it podcast, music, or call Rose to chat. You're a millennial with a short attention span. That's what right. Say? <laughs> What's your favourite tourist attraction as far as being someone who lives in London, but something that you look at and think, oh, wow, I can't believe I live here, Andrew? Oh, really? Well, you know, I went there just the other day. I took my girlfriend. She had never been before, and that's been on my to-do list for, for more than a year. Uh, if anyone's going to London and they're looking for a a tourist attraction, uh, and they're anything like me. It's called the John Soane Museum, uh, and this guy is a, an architect, you know, long, long since dead, but uh, he uh, had a house in the, I think, 19th century that when he died, he just kept it exactly as it was. And uh, and I just think it's fascinating because he's, uh, he's got lots of things there about architecture, but about history and about literature and reading and so on. And it's, it's right in the middle of town. Um, I think from memory, it's free to go into. Um, but if anyone is going through London and they've got a bit of time, I really recommend it. So I promise they're not paying the commission. Uh, but the John Stone <laughs> Museum is my favourite favorite attraction. Oh, thank you. Especially because I love a free attraction. That's right. Especially in London. <laughs> yeah. yeah, true. <laughs> but so, Andrew, you're not from London originally. As I understand, you're from Adelaide. Can we talk about your career trajectory and sort of how it came to be that now you're at Linklater's, you're in London living this very fun-sounding life from this end. How did you come to be there? Uh, yeah, good question. I started out in Adelaide, grew up and, and did my school and law studies here. And then, like a lot of folk in Adelaide, maybe some of the folk listening to this realised there are huge numbers of jobs, certainly in corporate law here, sadly. So uh, I joined the Exodus uh, East and, and I headed to Melbourne. Um, so the, the very first place, actually, I went to as a, as a proper law firm, there was a place called uh, Arthur Robinson and Hedewicks, which later became Allen's Arthur Robinson, uh, which became Allen's. So uh, it's actually quite sweet now in my, my relationship these days with Allen. I still see people like the 
the senior associate at the time, now long since a partner, a guy called Igor Bogdanich, who uh, I sat with then, and uh, the principal I had at the time, a guy called Nick Tolle, who uh, since left Allen and is now one of our key clients. So uh, I feel a real sort of connection with the past when I see those folks there. Uh, but in the end, I, I joined Malison's just over the road and did uh, deals on the other side of Allen's for a long time. I've got some tombstones sitting on my desk in London. Uh, I rotated around doing something we called an article clerkship in those days, which gave you the chance to move through about four different departments over the course of the year. And uh, and at the end of that, I, I qualified, you might say, or settled uh, as an associate in the finance practice. So I worked there for about six years uh, and then moved across to the UK originally to do a master's at Oxford, where I was for a year. And then I have since been at Linklater to finishing that, and that was 2007, so a long time ago, but a very satisfying one. Wow. Now, before we pick up on a few of those threads, just for a couple of our listeners who might not know what they are, can you explain what a tombstone is? <laughs> yeah, thank you. One of these phrases that people throw around. That one, luckily, is quite, um, I, I'd say, commonly used in the legal sector, although they are falling out of use these days, as opposed to there are some other things that are are really specific to an institution. Um, so, so a tombstone is just if you do a, a transaction or a deal, and it could be the financing side like me or it could be the corporate side, um, often what the bankers involved with the deal would typically do is create a, a little uh, a little thing. I, I can't think of a way to describe it. It's um, sadly often made of plastic. They're probably more um, environmentally friendly these days that would just list you know, what the deal is, who are the parties, who are the advisors, um, so the one I'm picturing uh, with Alan's on the other side was about uh, the development of the Newcrest Telfer mine up in, in northern Australia, um, and it's got uh, a little picture of a big gold mine and, and a list of the parties involved. But some friends of mine have got others. Uh, they have some really um, you know, quite cool ones, like, for example, there was the sale of a BHP uh, unit that created steel, and the tombstone is made out of the exact steel product. You know, there have been people who've been involved with the purchase or the financing of planes or ships and there's a little model ship or plane with a little plaque and so on. So, yeah, so that's the kind of stuff that sometimes you'll see uh, oldies like me have uh, sitting at their desk. I would love a little plane. I've seen they look like <laughs> little trophies almost or um, yeah, yeah, plaques. Yeah, that's a good word. Yeah, trophy. That, that's, that's the word I was after, yeah. I've also heard them referred to as deal toy, which sounds much nicer than tombstone. <laughs> It also does seem well, I suppose one of them kind of reflects the amount of work you had to do and one of them, I don't know, trivialises it a little bit maybe. I kind of like tombstone better. Yeah, yeah indeed. Well, there's a lot of other words that if you don't if you don't come across, I mean, when I moved to, to the UK, for example, England, they talk about prayers. They thought we're meeting tomorrow for prayers. And I was like, wow, okay. I didn't realise this was quite a religious <laughs> organisation. But, but, but apparently it's... I think taken from the English public service, uh, which is uh, people would meet for meetings that would often start with a prayer, and the meeting would typically be just a general catch-up of what's going on. And uh, and that, that phrase has kind of morphed into a, a few different places. Uh, or an, another one is just the word icon. So uh, so some of your some of your listeners, I'm sure, uh, don't use any Microsoft products. You know, they're, they're using all sorts of other cloud-based things. But I think in the in the corporate world, a lot of us use Microsoft products, one of which is Outlook, which controls our emails. And if you send someone a, a meeting request, it can be called a number of different things at different places. So I've heard it called request or appointment or invite. But at link later, it's icon. And uh, and if you arrive and somebody says, oh, yeah, I'll send you an icon, you're like, what is that? 
So, uh, yeah, there's a bit of that jargon that I've had to get up my head around over the years. It is funny the nomenclature aspect. Prayers pop up a lot in the Australian sort of disputes arena because when you are sending consent orders to the court, often it will be prayer one or prayer two or that's when someone's seeking orders, they call them prayers as well, which surprised me a lot. Yeah. That surprises me right now. I'd never heard that before. <laughs> yeah, it's a real thing. I just noticed a lot of barristers will say it, particularly the sort of more old school ones. Uh, mm. Say your prayers. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess it is sort of is. You're sort of a bit like- Does that make the you judge You come God? as a supplicant to the judge, yeah, I suppose so, in a courtroom. <laughs> Yikes. No, that's good. I've learned something. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we all have. Yes. I mean, look. Let's just never talk about the particular legal meaning of the word capacity and yeah. move rattle. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So since moving to Linklater's, obviously, I mean, did you find that to be a big difference between how you, how you were experiencing practicing law in Australia and then going to, to London? Did you find that a big difference? That was such a badly worded uh, question. I'm so sorry. No, 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 not at all. No, I, I know the feeling. And, and, and look, it's, it's a common question because uh, the number of Aussie lawyers working uh, in London is, is huge. Uh, at any one time, the percentage of our London office amongst the lawyers, um, we're only, of course, half of the people who work there. And it's a big place. Link credits in London, it's about 3,000 people. So of the 1,500 lawyers, at any one time, anywhere from 150 to 200 would be, you might say, Commonwealth folk. Uh, so predominantly Australians, but also that's broke into that. The Kiwis, the South Africans, a couple of Canadians, plenty of people from India and so on. So, uh, so yeah, that's, that's, you know, more than 10%. And, and people are often quite surprised by that. People who come from, from other places like, you know, continental Europe or, or Latin America or Asia often say, wow, I, I'm not convinced I'm in London. I, I would believe I'm in, I'm in Melbourne or Sydney. Because uh, there are just so many Aussies, so yeah, it's, it's a it's a common question, and um, I think for me the the it, it didn't feel like too big a change because in many ways the the cultures um, you know have felt quite similar. I think it's quite easy to move as a as an Australian lawyer typically to a place like Melbourne, perhaps perhaps uh, sorry to a place like London, um, perhaps, and this is based on chatting to other people, slightly easier than moving somewhere like New York, perhaps, uh, but but. The same thing is true, I think, for the Brits when they leave London and go to New York. They they find that a bit of a culture clash. Um, so so yeah, the, it, it's a relatively easy move. I think the the, the real trap that that I probably fell into that I think a, a few other people fall into is just assuming. And I think this is sort of typical Aussie humility, which which many of our, our counterparts from overseas who see us on the sporting field never believe we actually have. But our <laughs> typical Aussie humility is, oh, I'm going to go to London. Everything is going to be bigger and brighter and better. It's just all going to be amazing. And many things are, but then there are always one or two things that you think, hey, actually, you know, we did that better back home. Um, and a typical thing for that actually would just be technology, um, where often Australian law firms, in my experience of working with Allens, demonstrate this, um, are often ahead of the UK law firms in terms of their adoption of technology. And, and look, that's partly just a result of size, because, you know, we've got 30 offices across 20 different countries at Linklater's. So, so just rolling stuff out um, across that big network, is, it takes a long time to... So, you know, I remember in Australia, I got a what we called a Cisco phone in, I think, 2003, 2002, whereas when I went to Linklater's in 07, we still didn't have those, and it took a couple of years later before they were introduced. So some things like technology are a disappointment, you might argue, uh, but then plenty of other things are actually uh, uh, very similar and, and indeed meet the expectation of being better. Oh, well, that makes me feel quite good about I mean, in particular, the fact that I hate my Cisco phone. <laughs> I think we're meant to be upgrading them soon. 
So, uh, very good. Well, I think the next, the next step is, is removing the phones altogether. You know, it's all it's all uh, VoIP and, and other things like that. that I'm not going to pretend I know huge amounts about. We have some sort of international chat system that I don't fully understand. Yeah, yeah you can. Yeah. <laughs> I can never good. start conversations, though. It really annoys me. But other people can start them with me from link oh. letters. Yeah. Maybe that's a specific thing that Alan's put in place for you so you don't distract other staff members. Geneva is too unproductive, so she can't commence Skype conversations. (laughs) We did find out recently that when Geneva and I rotated to in our second year here, they deliberately didn't put us in the same office because we thought they thought we wouldn't do enough work. That's probably fair enough. (laughs) It's nice nice to know that people are thinking about you, isn't it? (laughs) Yes. Yes, well, (laughs) all press is good press, I suppose. Yeah. Speaking of being in different offices, actually, Andrew, Linklater's obviously there's quite a lot of offices in different countries. Have you ever worked anywhere mm-hmm. else? Uh, so not uh, not for a long period, but, but actually I, I've been in other offices uh, regularly over the course of my time there and, um, and I find that really, really satisfying, really enjoyable. So I think somebody asked me this the other day and I think I worked out of the 30-odd Linklater's offices, I think I have been to all but four or five, um, don't, don't quote me exactly on the wow. figures, but it's quite a lot. And, and, uh, and that I think for anyone, particularly in Aussie, is, is great. You know, any time I, I get on a plane um, in a suit with a briefcase and, and I, I have to pinch myself and I think, wow, people pay me to do this? This is amazing. Um, but I think it does make a big difference when you, you can see where people are. And, and I think in Australia we, we understand that better than anywhere because um, if you grow up as an Aussie with, with any sense of the world, and I guess this is a, a common answer to a question where people say, you know, why on earth would people leave Australia? Because it's, it's such a wonderful place. You know, the people are terrific, smart, good looking, whatever, um, great weather and everything. And, oh, well, and thanks, I say, yeah, all of, all of that stuff is true. All of that is true. Said, but if you are an Aussie who grows up with any sense of the wider world, and that, of course, is not all of us, but, but it is many people and probably, I imagine, many of those listening, listening to this, um, then I think you are sort of acutely aware that the world is a long way away. You know, you've got to go a long way to find places. So, um, so yeah, I, I think it's, it's, it's important when you're dealing with people by phone or by email. And, uh, if you can picture actually where they are working, their physical working environment, it just makes, makes such a difference. So, um, so yes, there, there have been lots of the different offices that I've seen, even just for a, a short period of time. And it's remarkably easy to, to do. You know, we've got systems these days that allow us to, you know, take our laptop, plug it in, and that includes anywhere across the Allen's networks as well. So, uh, so I've been, yeah, very fortunate to take advantage of that network of these. Yeah, I mean, that is, it sounds extremely exciting, and that is something that the people listening to this podcast are interested in. And we often get questions about uh, moving overseas and how easy that is. And, and so, I guess it'd be really interesting to hear from your perspective as someone who's at Linklater's how you see the alliance with Allen's functioning day to day, and how does that actually play out in practice. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it, probably for those listening, it, it, they haven't really, they wouldn't necessarily realise just quickly that's changed. Because when I when I was a law student, certainly I had never heard of Linklater. I, I don't think I'd heard of it until uh, probably you know several months into my my first my, my article clerkship, my my first sort of uh, permanent legal job. And um, and and at the time, you know, none of the big international firms had presences in Australia, and you know, the internet was still quite new, so so that information flow was was less. And uh, and and really, in the course of that that time, I mean, nearly twenty years, things have changed so much. And and I guess that's just partly how the world has changed. You know, uh, Australia is an even greater or more tightly integrated part of the global economy, um, and so you've got a bit of a push. From this end, where people are saying, "Well, you know, what are, what are we doing here in Australia to 
to, to follow, you know, as a lawyer, our clients and their businesses overseas. And then Ditto, at, at the other end in, in London, you know, we work with a lot of clients with uh, big presences in Australia, whether that's, you know, mining companies or whether that's just Australian companies who've got presences in the UK, like National Australia Bank, for example, and others uh, who I work with regularly. They're just around the corner from us uh, in the London office. And um, and so, yeah, there, there's just that, that flow through of, uh, business that, that lawyers need to follow, and, um, and it's just become a, a much more seamless service. I mean, we talked about technology before, um, and, and I just mentioned the the importance of kind of understanding people's perspective on the link letter systems. We can we can look up and we can see, um, you know, where if, if anyone at Allen's uh, is just you know rattling their name into our internal systems. So it, it feels very much like like kind of part of the family. The one thing we don't have, sadly, is like we do within link letters, is we don't have the photos of the folks around them. So therefore, if you're worried that somebody from links is looking you up, uh, they uh, can't on the internal system see your photos. So I'm sorry about that. Thank you. Still. Huge relief. <laughs> Massive relief. My photo is appalling. <laughs> Geneva's is really yeah. nice, though. I, I'm happier with the new one that I had because previously – so I got a new one maybe four or five months ago, but prior to that it was the photo that was taken before my first summer clerkship interview. So I looked sort nice. of way too eager, way too nervous. It's just too much going on. <laughs> this one is more like <laughs> I've just taken a photo. It's quite normal. You're a professional person. That's right. Now, uh, Andrew- yeah, well, if ever, I was going to say, if ever you come to – to links, um, for for example, I'm often I'm heavily involved with training, and I run courses in London, and and often we might have you know anywhere up to 150 people at a course in London, for example. That's uh, every six months, all of our graduates from uh, from around the Link Letters Network who who come there, and uh, and and often we we can use the photos that that people send us partly to get them to know each other, but at the end of however long the course is, it could be a whole week. Um, I might just put some random photos up on a screen and say, right, who is this? And then, of course, it's relying on people who've met them that week to be able to, oh, yeah, that, you know, that's Bob or that's Jane or whoever. And, uh, of course, it gives gives lots of flexibility for, for hacking on people about exactly the kind of photo you mentioned. You say, here is somebody who's really keen, really, really keen to <laughs> started work. So well, can, I must say, even though and I... Even though Geneva and I both had appalling photographs taken when we were first summer clerks and regrettably mine is still in play, the worst ones were the people who couldn't come here for the interviews and have a photo taken. They had to send in copies of their passport photographs and those photos were their online system photos that followed them around for two years. And I'm I'm just grateful that that wasn't me. (laughs) I can imagine. I shouldn't have said it makes me think of it. I started in, in Melbourne with uh, one of two twins, a guy called uh, Kieran, who's now a barrister, and uh, his twin brother Kyle had done a, a, a summer clerkship at the same firm. And Kieran, his, the photo he was given was not in fact him. It was his <laughs> twin brother Kyle from his summer clerkship. And when Kieran went to, to the HR team and said, look, can you change it? They were like, but it's you. And he said, but it's not me. It's my twin brother. It took him at least a year, I think, to, to persuade them that uh, he wasn't having a laugh. <laughs> oh, well, I like that it's a security concern. I'm pretty sure if we want to change us, we can just send it to the lovely facilities manager who fixes it up for us. I can see that as like a, a wacky sitcom where, you know, they just interchange day to day and like one day Kyle can come to work and be a lawyer and one day... I really day- feel like that's professional misconduct. Yeah, but good for TV. <laughs> Haven't you seen Suits? That whole show is professional misconduct. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> the TV version of what it's like to be a lawyer is like, oh, what are ethics? <laughs> <laughs> I should, as a, as a PS for that, what I now, I now, Carl lives in London, in fact, he's working at the High Commission there, so I see him uh, occasionally. But when I first met him, 
uh, I always thought he was he or rather his twin brother was really rude. So I thought I know this guy called Kieran, but then I'd see Kyle who worked at a different law firm <laughs> in the same building in the lift well, and I give him a wave, and he completely blanked me. And I think, oh, that guy, I thought he was great, but like, <laughs> a complete clown. <laughs> Now, Andrew, you touched a little bit earlier on how a big part of your role at the moment is training other lawyers and clients. Mm. Can you tell us a little bit about, first of all, your, I suppose, initial career stream in becoming a banking lawyer and sort of Mm -hmm. why and how you transitioned into the training role that you have now? Yeah, of course. Uh, So, so the the bank, taking the banking side first, that was never my intention. If anyone here at uni is thinking, uh, finance, banking, boring, then, then I, I'm on your side from, from how I felt then. And uh, I guess I didn't really know what I wanted to do as a lawyer, but I thought maybe that the thing that appealed to me most was, was around kind of infrastructure and energy. You know, they were a couple of subjects I did at Adelaide that I, I liked and, and did well at. So I thought, oh yeah, I'll, I'll maybe I'll work on kind of, you know, mines and, and, and power stations. I did a lot of debating as a, as a kid and um, a uni student. And so people often go into litigation. So I thought maybe I want to do that. So when I, when I came to, to do my first uh, article clerkship, then I thought, oh, well, I, I guess I should, having a chance to pick departments, I'll, I'll pick the projects team, uh, then I'll pick the construction team that's got some litigation, then I'll pick the M&A team, because that, I guess, is going to be important. And, oh, I don't know, maybe it's, maybe it's useful to know something about where the money comes from. It's you know, probably going to be dull, but I guess I should know. And at the end of the, the four rotations, I... I just found actually that the bit about the finance side was, was terrific. It was the bit that resonated most with me. It had the, this wonderful kind of combination of technical bits of law with, with commercial practice. Um, I like the flexibility. I mean, not only because finance is so international. And I thought, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to work abroad at some stage. And so that I'm sure will help. Uh, but also just, I might not stay in law, you know, and, and knowing things about finance would help me. And I could become a banker. I could become a consultant. All of those things sort of came into play. But probably the most important factor, even more important than those, was just I really liked the people. And in fact, the uh, the, the principal I had in my uh, rotation is now a partner at Allen's, Nick Creed, who uh, I saw passing through Perth on Friday, who's an absolutely terrific chap. And uh, he, you know, his influence uh, was one of the things that certainly helped me to come back to the group. And, and one thing I should add, on that to, to, to focus, I've loved it ever since. I really enjoy working in finance. Is you know here in Australia, which is different to other parts of the world, people do law and another degree. So you know people often do law com, um, but you could also do I know, law science or engineering or in my case arts. And and I think there is sometimes a perception of people saying, oh, if I haven't done a commerce degree or a finance or economics degree, I'm, I might struggle a bit, you know, going into finance. But I mean that's not the case in the slightest. I mean those of you who are doing those courses, it's certainly helpful that you can happily work as a finance lawyer without ever having done any of that formal training because you can pick stuff up on the job. And many of my colleagues in London um, who don't even have to do law degrees to be lawyers, you know, they've done classics and and things like that um, as their sole degree and uh, and are working as some of the most successful finance lawyers around. So, uh, so yeah, that gives you a bit of a sense as to how I've ended up in finance. I think think it's great. Some of my best uh, friends in London are, are corporate lawyers and we regularly have uh, a good bit of jive backwards and forwards about that. So, um, you know, one of my good friends, Sue, she always calls us debt geeks. She says, oh, yeah, you debt geeks. You know, you, on the financing side, it's, oh, it's so boring and stuff. And we always call the corporate folks, ah, oh, corporate heroes. You know, you guys don't know anything about the law, but, you know, I guess, you know, good luck to you. Um, and then my other half is that she's a litigator, so she thinks this whole world of transactional law is quite weird as well. So there's lots of different branches and everyone finds their own way. But for me, certainly finance has worked out really well. I mean, I'm going to immediately start using all of those 
little nicknames for yes. our teams here in Sydney. One of Geneva and my other best friends here is a corporate lawyer and I'm really looking forward to calling her a hero. Corporate hero. <laughs> So one thing you mentioned um, in talking about that, which was a really fascinating journey to where you are now, but, you know, you mentioned you picked up finance because it might be something that you could take forward with you if you were to leave the law. What is it about Mm. practicing in a firm and practicing law that's kept you where you are rather than pursuing something else like becoming a banker or working in-house somewhere? Yeah, and, and the the cliche people say is, is the people, but I think that it's so true, and 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 I find it's it's just such an exciting professional environment to work in. And, and Linkrate, there was a, a tagline we had for our recruiting campaign a couple of years ago, which was called uh, "Live Your Ambition." I can still picture this. It's got big block capitals and uh, and so on, and looked almost quite threatening. We're familiar with it, and many of our listeners, I think, will be too. Ah, oh, very good. Okay, great. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad it. I'm glad it, it's resonated. That was, I think, from memory. I think it's, it's since been replaced by, if I remember right, the great change is here. So if any of you who are listening now and you see the link letter campaign, that's what it is now. I'm sure it will change again in a, in a year or two. But yeah, people often associate ambition with, with quite negative things. Um, but I think in many ways that it's, it's the very positive element of that, which I see, um, around the firm. You know, I walk around our London office or any of the other offices I go to, you know, and I see people who are genuinely committed to being the best in the world at what they do. You know, they, they woke up, they, uh, they come to work and they're like, yeah, I, I'm going to be awesome today or I'm going to do whatever I can to be awesome. Um, and that doesn't mean, you know, being unreasonable or being mean. It means, it means working hard and, and focusing your efforts and, and so on to just, to, to make, you know, to make their work work well. And, uh, and I just really feel that buzz and that energy you see around people are often, um, are often just so, so, so good at that. And I, and I, I guess comparing that to any other organization, uh, I've never really seen that sort of energy. And, and I keep in touch with lots of our alumni around the world. And, and many of them, when they, when they leave us, they, they catching up after a couple of years. I say, oh, that was the thing I missed, I missed the most. It was the fact that, you know, when you ask somebody, can, you know, can you help? Um, they will say, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Even though they're, they're really, you know, they're really flat out or busy or, or whatever. There's just a real, um, case that the answer is that yes, uh, as, as was the slogan for a telecommunications company in Australia when I was growing up, which is probably long since changed. <laughs> that resonates with me as well, actually. I remember having a chat with the chairman of Allen's probably last year now, and she gave me one of the most, I think, easy to apply across everything pieces of advice I've ever had, which was just work hard, be kind. That was it. Mm. But it's a good thing to remember, I think, in everything you do. It's true. I mean, actually, the thing that brought it home to me, and I, I did um, tell one of my colleagues, Ruth, about this uh, not so long ago, was I was working in our Frankfurt office for a week, and, and I was working at the desk of a guy there called Sergio, and uh, he um, uh, it was away on leave, so I was just soiling away at his phone, and um, uh, I got an email from my colleague Ruth in London, and she said, oh, Andrew, can you can you help me? You know, I'm, I'm busy, and I've got this question on this finance matter that's not quite her area. She's more real estate, so I said, I thought, yeah, sure. But rather than emailing her, I, I just called her. So I called her and she answered the phone and she said, oh, hi, Sir John. And I was like, oh, no, 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 Ruth, it's, it's Andrew. Maybe you just emailed her. She says, oh, thanks, Andrew, great. So so we chatted. And um, and then I you know, answered her question. might have taken 15, 20 minutes. And as we hang up, I said, oh, um, oh, by the way, how do you know Sir John? Because he's a finance colleague of mine, but I guessed she might not have come across him. But she said, oh, who's Sir John? I said, well, you know, the guy who you thought I was. And she said, oh, yeah, that was this number that cropped up on my phone. And I was like, wow, but... You kind of answered the phone like you knew him. And she just said, well, 
yeah, but you know, I just figured if one of our colleagues from Frankfurt, you know, was calling, and I know it's sort of late, later at night over there, you know, he must need some help. So yeah, why am I not going to help him? And I just thought, well, that that kind of attitude, I just I see so often around so many of my colleagues. And I think it's a really really great thing about where I work now. Yeah, I mean, this is something that we come back to time and time again on this podcast. Is that it is the people who really make going to work special and who make, um, you know, what can be quite challenging or demanding times just feel a lot easier and a lot more enjoyable. On that note, thank you very much for your time today, Andrew. We really appreciate you joining us on the podcast. Pleasure. It's probably getting to be about that time, unfortunately, that we wrap up. And so we always like to finish with the question of what advice could you give our listeners that you would have liked to have had early on in your career? I think it would be 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 open to the rest of the world, including the rest of the world's law. Uh, I think growing up in Oz, I didn't know anything about any other country's laws, but, but working now in London, I deal with different laws every day. And so, so I think we as Aussies are, are known for being great travellers, but we, we probably don't exercise our minds so much in knowing how the French law or German law is actually feels quite different to our own, but it, it often, you know, is, is equally, understandably equally valid. Uh, it just often arrives at the same conclusion in a different manner or sometimes reaches different conclusions. So, yeah, part of it would be um, just be open-minded about other people's laws. And um, and maybe the second thing was just to, uh, to to probe for feedback. I probably, at the early stage of my career, always thought, oh, yeah, no news is good news. And, you know, you don't want to be told by anyone, oh, look, you're not doing this as, as well as you might or, or 100%. So if I did pluck up the courage to say to somebody, um, you know, can you give me some feedback? And then they say, oh, no, that's fine. I would, I would immediately think, oh, thank goodness, okay, great, that's fine. And, and now I've realized that if you, if you just ask them nicely just to say, look, you know, thank you. I'm glad you thought that was fine. I'd love to do something like that for you again. You know, it, it, there must be one thing that you might want me to do differently next time if, if that was to happen. Um, often I find if, if, if it's the right moment and they've got the time, they'll say, oh, uh, okay, yeah, well, here are, and then they'll list about 10 things that they wish you'd done differently, <laughs> and it's so much better knowing that so that you can fix them or change them the next time rather than just assuming it was all fine and just doing the same stuff all over again. Great advice. Hey, I'm definitely going to use that actually going forward. That's a great way of asking for feedback. It's fantastic, although I do hope that I don't get 10 separate pieces of <laughs> advice of what I should have done differently. Maybe we can pick this up when the podcast is finished. <laughs> Okay, thank you so much for joining us. And for our listeners, thank you again for being with us. We hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as we have. And we look forward for you to uh, join us again on Alan's Alan's Confidential. Confidential.